I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. What is up, everybody, and welcome to an emergency edition to tonight's podcast episode. I've already recorded about 60 minutes of podcast coming up next, but I just got breaking news that the New York Jets have released running back Le'Veon Bell. He had a huge contract, four years, $52 million, getting paid $13 million this year with only about $4 million worth of dead money coming up next year. We knew that the New York Jets, the way things were pacing right now, probably were not going to retain him next year. Now, recently, after some drama with the New York Jets and Le'Veon Bell liking some tweets where people are mentioning he didn't get enough targets in this game against the Cardinals, which we all agree with. He definitely should have gotten more than one target. I mean, you got Jeff Smith getting 11, Le'Veon Bell getting one, one catch, seven yards. Like, you're not utilizing this guy the right way. But Le'Veon Bell knows that his career is plummeting right now in everybody's eyes. Fantasy owners, people around the league are watching. It's like, what's going on with Le'Veon Bell? And he's realizing, I got to get out of here. Things are, you know, a mess. But he doesn't want to create a big stir. He actually gave Jamal Adams a lot of flack for creating a big stir. He's definitely not happy here, so he wants to move on, but he's not going to create a big thing. The Jets next year probably will not be keeping this player for the amount of money that he would be due. I mean, $4 million is dead money if you cut him. Otherwise, you have to pay him like, you know, $13, $15 million, whatever it is, and he's not worth all of that money, most likely. We didn't know, we didn't ever expect him really to live out that entire contract. So reports come out today that the Jets are trying to shop and trade Le'Veon Bell. And it's like, oh, here we go. More drama than New York Jets. Are we going to trade this guy? What are we going to trade him for? What's going on? We weren't sure if they were true. One of the reports is by Meta. We don't believe him anymore. His credentials have been revoked by the New York Jets, and who knows what that guy's even spewing. But it ends up being true. And they can't find a trade partner, and Le'Veon Bell gets released. So to me, a couple things here. One, we just granted Le'Veon Bell his freedom. Go be free away from Adam Gase. Two, we don't have the contract for next year. We saved all that money. And at the end of the day, it was worthwhile. Le'Veon Bell, I've given him a lot of flack on this podcast. Specifically, he doesn't have the acceleration that he used to have. For the scheme that Adam Gase runs, he definitely isn't right for the system. But with the Pittsburgh Steelers offensive line, they were making holes. And he could do, he could take the ball in the backfield, do two jump steps, and the guard, center, tackle, whoever would make a hole in those jump steps, then he would accelerate right through it. With the New York Jets, he takes the ball, he does the same jump step, but the hole isn't opening up. Alex Lewis isn't ripping a guy to the side, making a big hole for Le'Veon Bell. So he ends up doing that, moving nowhere, and then plowing his head forward for three yards in the back of an offensive lineman. Running up the middle time and time again. He doesn't have the same speed and burst that he used to have, but perhaps we haven't been using him, right? I mean, we'll see exactly what he's got left when he goes to another team. If he looks like young Le'Veon Bell, and he's taken the league by storm, we'll be like, okay, Adam Gase is an absolute moron. There's also a scenario that I think is more likely that he's still got some left in the tank, but he's teetering more towards the washed-up range, that he's going to slowly get worse and worse as time goes on, and you know he'll be a little bit better than he was at the Jets, but not a 12, 1,300-yard running back. 
That's my guess. So we move on. We don't have the contract anymore. And this signifies, folks, we're in it. This is full tank mode right now. If you did have any hope for winning games, Le'Veon Bell was a lot of that. And now without him, I mean, it's going to be very hard to find a win with Frank Gore, Michael Pirine, whoever else the Jets want to bring in. I think it's it's bizarre that Adam Gase in a press conference this week said he didn't play Lamichael Pirine on any offensive snaps because he didn't want to stunt his growth by putting him in there. Well, what's going to happen now? Is his growth going to be stunted when he's forced to take handoffs with Le'Veon Bell out of the picture? I mean, Adam Gase is so up his own butt, it's unbelievable. It's pathetic, really, as we're watching this. But the move to move on from Le'Veon Bell was made by Joe Douglas. I think that Adam Gase supports it 100%. But I do not think that's why Joe Douglas did it. He didn't do this because Adam Gase doesn't want him there, because Adam Gase doesn't know how to use him. He moved him because he doesn't want the contract for next year and because he doesn't really need a reason to win games right now. He has a plan for next year. He's proved that before. He got rid of Jamal Adams. Was that to make us a better team this year? No, it's to make us a better team next year and the year after. Gets rid of Le'Veon Bell. Is that to make us a better team right now? No, but it gives us the money for next year. And you're talking about a substantial sum of money that right now, Le'Veon Bell, $13 million? Give me a break. I would so much rather have a receiver or somebody on the offensive line worth $13 million than have Le'Veon Bell doing what he's doing. He's never really had a great game for the New York Jets, and I think that that's a bummer because he's been a good guy, and he's always said the right things. He's always said he's a team-first guy, and he was a very easy guy to root for. But he never had those huge games, and I was rooting for it. When is it going to come? When is it going to come? Injured, banged up, comes back used improperly. And at this point, the New York Jets have Jamison Crowder, Mekhi Becton, hopefully Sam Darnold when he's healthy, and really not a whole lot more. We're going to have a, a ton of money and a bunch of draft picks, good ones, and we're going to restart this team. And in the NFL, restarts can happen pretty quickly. Two, three years. Very quickly, you can have a good team. But you have to do things the right way. And sometimes you have to make those tough decisions. I think that the Jets tomorrow, you know, the Jets this upcoming weekend against the Dolphins, it's a worse team. It's a harder product to watch. The Jets 2021, they are in a better position not having Le'Veon Bell on the team, as sad as it is to say. So we never saw that breakout performance. We do not have our star running back. And the New York Jets tank, dumpster fire, all of it, it's full on. I mean... There's a very good chance that Joe Douglas is sitting in the back, very pleased with the way this is all working out because Adam Gase is going to get the brunt of all this. We're going to get him fired. And then Douglas can move on with his plan, with his coach, maybe even his quarterback and all the money in the world with draft picks to build the team that he actually wants. And if he's the prospect and the candidate that we all thought he was coming in, he's going to do a good job. So I'm still believing in it. But this right now, what's happening is ugly and it's some of the worst Jets football we've ever seen. And folks, there's going to be a lot more of it. So now we will begin the podcast without Le'Veon Bell on the roster. Um, I've got about an hour of talking coming up. And some of it I will mention Le'Veon as if he's on the roster. But we had to put this one in the beginning. We had to make an addition because it's too fresh. It's too important. And I, I think it's funny when you look at it right now. I think some of the teams that make the most sense playing with the Patriots where they have some running back issues and like to use receiving backs? Or how about playing for a team like the Buccaneers, where Tom Brady's been looking for a receiving running back? 
I mean, there's a bunch of options, but we're going to talk about all this stuff uh, next week. And as for now, enjoy tonight's episode, beginning now. Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. This episode comes to you as the New York Jets fall to 0-5, a five-game losing streak to start out the 2020 season. And in this one, they lose 10-30 to at home to the Arizona Cardinals. The average Arizona Cardinals beat the New York Jets by 20. Again and again, the New York Jets have lost every single game by nine or more points. And they haven't really been competitive in any of them. I mean, they were close to the Broncos, gave a big touchdown at the end. They maybe gave you some sort of hope against the Bills, but you realize that even though they lost by, what, 10 points or whatever, it was way uglier than that. And, you know, for the fifth straight week, we come out, lay a goose egg, basically, on both sides of the ball. And it's not a great time to be a New York Jets fan. We are the laughing stock of the league. We are basically, hands down, the consensus worst team in the entire NFL. People are arguing right now if we're one of the worst teams in the last 10 years. This is a position that we never thought we would be in going into this year. I mean, we've got a ton of injuries, don't get me wrong, but the coaching, it has to change. We've got a bunch of players on one-year deals, and thank goodness a lot of these players are on one-year deals because most of them do not deserve to come back. Joe Douglas is going to have to clean house at a ton of positions. We are going to have to do a complete makeover. It's a good thing we got extra first-round picks coming up in the next two years. But, like, it's just, it's tough right now. We're 0-5. I'm still doing the podcast. I will still be trying to frame this as positively as possible. But, you know, when it comes down to it, we're watching really, really bad football week in and week out with very little to be excited about. And the one cornerstone piece, a guy like Sam Darnold, that you're expecting, like, he's going to be the reason that we're watching this team. People are talking about him getting the boot and being replaced by somebody else. Your superstar left tackle that you drafted, he's not even playing on the field, and the rest of the draft class is missing. So at this point, bear with me. We are going to break down what happened in the Arizona Cardinals game. We're going to talk offense, defense, special teams, you know, players of the game and everything. We're going to do the usual fun sections, what's on tap, father time, back this week. Going to preview the Dolphins game, which was flexed or, or shifted into next week's game slot week six and we're gonna do a little you know afc east check-in do a little jets news but you know i can't make this subject more interesting to talk about i'm not one to buy into tmz storylines and all the drama and gossip of the players in the locker room because i don't want to just build those narratives i think it only hurts the team and the fact that the new york jets have so many beat reporters so many people within the fan base that like to comment on it and and bring it to the public eye I think it actually hurts the team, so I try not to be a part of that. But, like, that's really all we got right now because when it comes to playing football, we are we are far from where we expected to be and where we should be. All right, so before we get into anything, I have to remind you to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. Anywhere podcasts are found, it's found under the Gang Green Nation podcast. This podcast is run through Gang Green Nation part of SB Nation. So anywhere that you can like, rate, 
review, subscribe, all that good stuff is always appreciated. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. And I give random little tidbits, thoughts throughout the week on the New York Jets. So now that we got that out of the way, let's talk about the news going on with the New York Jets. It begins with Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell was horribly misused after coming back from a hamstring injury this week. He got 13 carries for about 60 yards. And it was a better efficiency game yardage-wise from him. But it was, you know, in terms of running, it's a similar sort of play style that he has. He doesn't hit the hole very hard. He bounces around, and he never breaks big gainers. But in this game, the really troubling thing was he didn't get any targets. He got one catch for about seven yards. And when we look at the roster that we have right now, especially with the way that our tight ends are playing, we got these backup wide receivers. Jamison Crowder is the best receiver on this team. I think it's easily argued that Le'Veon Bell is the second best receiver on this team. And this is a team like starved for talent right now, starved for any playmakers, people that can catch the football. We can't wait to get a guy like Brashad Perriman back, who most other teams would probably not even put on the field. So Le'Veon Bell comes back. He's out there. He's healthy. He gets that one lone target in the passing game. And... Of course, the entire fan base, the media, everybody starts giving a bunch of stuff, you know, starts posting about this. How does Le'Veon Bell only get one target? Yada, yada. I mean, granted, last year we probably did more checkdowns than any team in the league, and Le'Veon Bell would get, you know, seven catches for three yards every week. But you have to try to use him creatively, kind of like week one when they did the wheel routes. They did the first one on the left for a big gainer. They had a second opportunity on the right for a touchdown where Le'Veon Bell actually pulled up Gimp and pulled the hamstring. There's plenty of ways that you can get him involved in the game as he's one of your elite best players and one of your highest paid players. But Adam Gase refuses to do it. And so Le'Veon Bell goes on, finds these people like Connor Hughes, Rich Cimini, who are tweeting about the lack of targets and receiving yards that he's getting. And he starts liking those saying like, basically, you know, I agree. This is ridiculous. I think that it's clear he's not seen eye to eye with Adam Gase since he's gotten here. And Adam Gase seems like, you know, right away, the minute Adam Gase got here, the first storyline was like, he doesn't want Le'Veon Bell here. He wishes that guy wasn't even here. It's like, all right, listen, he's here. He's an extreme talent. Let's just find you're an offensive mind, right? Let's find a way to use this great piece. Instead of doing that, he's battled with him. He's told him he's injured, but he isn't, vice versa. And, you know, Le'Veon Bell has been pretty respectful and quiet and cordial about the whole thing through his tenure with the New York Jets. But that little passive-aggressive like in those things, it sent everybody on Twitter and in the whole world into a spiral saying Le'Veon Bell wants out, all these things. And then it's coming out today that there are reports that Le'Veon Bell actually is requesting a trade or the Jets are actually trying to shop him and actively move him to another team. And this is better for both parties and everything. So basically right now, the sky is falling in New York. And as we're 0-5, the best players that we have on the team, the players that have any value, are looking to go elsewhere and want to get the heck out of here. And you can't blame them. You can't blame him for wanting to get out of here. I mean, what do you do? Do you let Adam Gase just ruin the rest of Le'Veon Bell's career? He's not getting the opportunities here. His value is going down basically every single week that Adam Gase doesn't use him right or plays him injured or asks him to do things that he shouldn't be doing. And so that's where the New York Jets are at. So it's a lot of negativity around all of that. Now, when it comes down to it, it probably is the right move to trade Le'Veon Bell. The New York Jets are 0-5. Playoffs are all but out the window. I mean, the way that we're playing right now, we got to assume there's no shot at making the playoffs. So if that's the case, we all know that we're building towards 2021. We traded Jamal away, a lot of one-year deals, saving up money, 
what you do is you trade the players that you have on your team that have any sort of value. You get them out of here now. If they're not expected to be on the roster week one next year, get them out of here and get as many picks as you can for them. As many young, talented players or picks that you can get for anybody with any value that won't be here next year. Le'Veon Bill will probably get cut to save money. So if that's the case, get them out of here, save the money. If you're not going to re-sign Marcus May, if that's not the plan, then get them out of here and get some picks. Because we got to build this team back as quickly as possible. We can't afford to just have these players sitting around being wasted as we lose games. And then they disappear, walk away, we get nothing for it. And then we're in this hole missing our good players and have minimal assets to try to replace them. You know, that's not what we want to happen. I'm not advocating to trade Marcus May. But I'm saying that if the plan right now isn't to keep him, that's what you got to do. And at the end of the day, if you get rid of all of your good players, you've basically you've basically assured everybody now that you are going to be the first overall pick in the draft. And then you can go for Trevor Lawrence or trade back, get Jamar Chase, whatever you want to do in the draft. It's Joe Douglas's world. If that happens, we will most certainly be the worst team in the league. We already are with these players. Can't imagine how much worse it could get. So that's what's going on with the Le'Veon Bell thing. In terms of Adam Gase, we all think that he needs to be fired. He could be fired any day now, any game, any minute. He's doing such a bad job. There's so little to believe in and be optimistic about if you're anybody other than Chris Johnson that you've got to think that like he's he's right on the edge. But because of the relationship with Chris Johnson where for some reason Chris Johnson loves Adam Gase, he was willing to side with him to fire Mike McCagden. Oh, you know, yeah, let's team up on him, get him out of here, Adam We're going to build this thing around you. He's a great, brilliant offensive mind, Chris Johnson has said before. In reality, Chris Johnson needs to stay out of this entire thing, the entire process moving forward. He needs to get the heck out of there. He has no good opinions or thoughts on football. So let's just separate him from the entire thing. I don't know if he's willing to do that because I think he wants to be part of something, but he shouldn't be. Adam Gase is on the hot seat, about to get fired. He actually said in a press conference that he has considered handing over the playbook. That would be either to a guy like Dowell Loggins or Jim Bob Cooter or Sean Jefferson, one of our assistants or or coordinators. And that is the best thing for this team and the best idea he's had maybe all year. Because clearly from five games, this guy can't call good plays and can't utilize the talent. And the main reason that everybody wants Adam Gase fired is the minute Adam Gase is fired, We know he's not going to be coming back next year. But you want him fired now because you want to see somebody else calling the plays, calling the shots. Let's get him out of here, remove him, and let's see somebody else work with Sam Darnold. Well, potentially, not to the full extent of firing him, but to a greater extent, maybe he's not getting fired. We can replace him play calling. Maybe, just maybe, we can see some improvements from our players. We can see a little creativity, a little progress forward for the young guys, and maybe feel good about something. Maybe even win a game. If we even want to do that at this point. So I think that's kind of a big deal. Aside from that, the New York Jets, they've shifted their schedule up a little bit due to all the COVID stuff going on. The New York Jets will now be playing the Miami Dolphins in Miami next week instead of playing the Chargers. They're going to play at 4 o'clock next week against the Dolphins. They are going to have a bye week when they were going to play the Dolphins the first time. And then they're going to play the Chargers, which should have been week 6, during what should have been their bye week. So it's a little bit confusing, but right now those are the only games that have really switched. The first Dolphins game, the Chargers, and the bye week have kind of rotated. And 
it's probably not the last time this is going to happen. We're only in week five here, going into week six. We're lucky right now that the Jets haven't had any actual positive COVID tests, and we're actually playing football every single week. But you got to be flexible with this whole season. This season is going to have an asterisk next to it no matter what. This is not going to be played like a normal year. I mean, for crying out loud, we're watching Tuesday night football in like two hours my time right now. So, you know, we got to kind of roll with the punches as it goes. But Dolphins next week, I think it's actually a little bit better because I didn't really, I thought it was interesting. It was Dolphins, bye week, Dolphins. And I eat sushi for every Dolphins game for obvious reasons. I didn't want to do sushi two weeks in a row watching football. I wanted to kind of like break it up. So now we get to do sushi next week. Do chargers later on. We'll do tacos or something for that. Very exciting. Plus, somebody's got to slow Miami down, right? They're hot right now. They just beat up on the 49ers. Um, I think that's a perfect time to move over to our AFC East check-in. And when you look at the AFC East, it's actually getting somewhat interesting for every other team that isn't the New York Jets. The Buffalo Bills still reign supreme in the AFC East at 4-0. But they played a night against the Tennessee Titans, who haven't played in two weeks because of COVID. They have so many tests. It's unbelievable. That's that's like the failure of the league in terms of the pandemic, Tennessee Titans. But they're playing tonight against the Buffalo Bills. And I think that's going to be a pretty good matchup. We haven't seen a ton of the Titans yet. The Bills are rolling. Primetime game. Let's see if Josh Allen can, you know, withstand all the extra pressure that's added there. They're 4-0 looking to go 5-0. Either way, regardless of what happens, they're going to have two more wins than anybody else in the division when this game is over. Potentially three. The Patriots didn't play this week. They moved their game. It's part of the reason that, you know, the schedules got messed up the way they did. So they're going to be playing next week against the Broncos, but they're 2-2. Two two. The Dolphins are now 2-3. and three, Only one game behind the New England Patriots in the division. And the Dolphins play the Jets next week, so it's very possible they're going to go to three and three. And the Dolphin or the Patriots, if they end up playing Brian Hoyer again or Jarrett Sidham, it's possible they lose any game that they play with those quarterbacks. I mean, it's as bad as we hoped it would be with those guys playing. So a little bit of a mix up there, right? Buffalo Bills seem like they're running away with the division, still early, but they're playing really well. The Dolphins and Patriots are fighting for right now a wild card spot, and the Jets are at the bottom doing absolutely nothing. At minus 86 points in the differential. We've scored 75 points this year and given up 161. It's absurd. The next most in the entire league for a differential, next worst is a minus 53 for the Washington football team. They're horrible. The Giants are minus 52. They're horrible. We're minus 86. I mean, that just, it's wild. It's wild how bad we are. Okay, we're going to move over to a recap of the Arizona Cardinals game. Let's start, I don't know, let's just break down the game a little bit. What happens in this one? It starts a little slow. Flacco comes out. He doesn't have accuracy right away. It looks like he's rusty. He hasn't played in a long time, and you're kind of thinking like, uh-oh. But the pocket's holding up pretty well. He's standing in there. He's getting some opportunities to throw. Jets don't score. They get to a fourth and one, punt the ball away. Arizona Cardinals get it. They score a touchdown pretty quick. We get another fourth and one. We punt it away again. I mean, we just keep punting on fourth and one, just like giving away this season. Like at what point now at own four, about to be own five, do you just say, let's just go for stuff and see if it works? One yard to go. Can we gain one yard here? Of course, we go for fourth and one later in the game. Uh, we go for a third and one, run it with Trevon Wesco. Ridiculous. And then run it up the middle with Le'Veon Bell, who bounces around in the backfield instead of going forward through the hole. Ridiculous. And we don't get it there. So maybe maybe no matter what, we're going to lose. It doesn't matter whether we go for it or don't. We're just punting the ball away here. We're giving the ball away there. It's one or the other. But the Cardinals, 
They get on the board first. They take the lead, and the New York Jets honestly played all right in the beginning of the game. Their offense wasn't moving the ball very, very quickly. You know, they weren't scoring any points, nothing until the second quarter. But they were holding the Cardinals pretty well. In this game, they only gave up, what was it, 31 rushing yards to Kyler Murray on nine carries. One of them was a touchdown, but when you're looking at this game, you're like, let's not let this guy run for 70, 80, 90 yards. That can't happen. we got to try to keep him in the pocket. And you saw the way that they were using the defensive line, trying to kind of spy him and, and keep the guys in their zone so that he couldn't run around the outside. He wouldn't like collapse the, collapse the pocket on him where then he would squirt through and have big open field. Kind of kept guys where they were. Also, what's the point in sending these guys in the defensive line? They're not going to get after the quarterback anyway. Even if they're going for him, it's not going to work. So Kyler Murray, we kind of limit him. He doesn't look like he's having a very good game early on. We're stopping Kenyon Drake. He's only got 3.3 yards per carry. But there's one big run by Chase Edmonds, a 29-yarder for a touchdown. That one really hurts. And then when we can't score before the half, we tried to get a couple points before the half. We give the ball back to them with like, I don't know what it was, 45 seconds or so. And then they go down the field. They get a field goal. They go up 17 at the half, 17 to 3. Ficken, perfect on the year still. And you're thinking to yourself, all right, Joe Flacco starting to get into a kind of rhythm. Le'Veon Bell's slightly efficient right now. It's possible that we can start to push the ball. The problem is in this game, it looked like Kyler Murray had a horrible game. Like he didn't play very well, but he had 380 yards. And the reason that it looked like he didn't play well, but he still had like his best passing game of his career the same way most quarterbacks do this year when they play the New York Jets defense. It's because to do well, to get 380 yards against this Jets defense, you don't need to do anything crazy. You don't need to make ridiculous passes. You don't have to fit it into tight windows. You don't have to beat double coverage and give your guys big chances in the end zones. No, we just play a soft zone and give you 15 yards whenever you want it. You can just take 15, 7 yards. They're trying to stop the deep passes, even though recently they haven't been able to do that either trying to limit the big play, like the bend-don't-break defense that just bends all the way into the end zone over and over. But, I mean, the way the Cardinals were just able to kind of chip away here, there, we didn't have any turnovers in this game. We had hardly any penalties in this game. We played a pretty safe, conservative-style game with decent efficiency. Not great passing, no, but decent efficiency. And we got absolutely smoked by a team that didn't do anything all that special because... It was just, overall, the game plan is so weak, defensively and offensively, that we don't score points. Situationally, we make the wrong decisions at the wrong times. Defensively, we don't, the only chances that we take are blitzing players that shouldn't be blitzing to get no pressure. There's not a whole lot of creativity there. And we're playing players that really, some of them shouldn't even be on the field, at least at this point in their career. No offense to anybody. But it's just a tall test to put Lamar Jackson, an undrafted free agent, starting his first game ever on DeAndre Hopkins for basically an entire game. It's just a tall task. That's where we're at right now. So the New York Jets fall on this one 30-10. to 10. They beat up on us. It was, uh, when it came down to it, it wasn't as ugly a game as some of the other ones have been. I know we lost by 20. I know I'm not looking at this and I'm not making, you know, saying that the Jets played well or anything like that. But I think that Flacco played relatively well for the talent that's around him and where he's at in his career. I I don't think that he played better than Sam Darnold would have played, but I think that he came in and I mean, it was light years better than fucking fails light years better. So thank goodness we at least watched some competent play. It just, you know, 
it didn't result in anything anything special. We don't have any we don't have any explosiveness. We don't have any explosiveness in this team. Our tight end can't do a damn thing. Our receivers are young, raw, and need to kind of get the ball close to the line of scrimmage to, you know, find openings. Jameson Crowder is the bright spot. Running the ball, we go up the middle almost every single time. When we go outside, we're slow. We're long on the year. It's like, you know, Sam Darnold's long. But other than that, like 13 yards for us is a huge, like, monster carry. We're not getting those 29ers like Chase Edmonds got in this game. And so it's hard to put up points when you just, you know, you move the ball for five yards of play when you're, you know, when you're rolling. So Jets fall on this one. We will step over to team stats. And the team stats, when you look at it, you know, yardage horrible. Jets 285 yards to the Cardinals 496. I mean, that's 210 more yards than the New York Jets got. That's crazy. Well, uh, you know, rushing the ball. The Jets had 123 rushing yards. The Cardinals had 127. We actually had more yards per rush in this game, 4.4 to 4.2 course when you're down by 20 points rushing the ball for four yards of carry not all that helpful but penalties something that's been a huge issue for the New York Jets in this game we only had six penalties for 30 yards and I think that was probably a big point of emphasis in the game plan for the week coming up after you know we had six personal fouls alone last week we only had six total penalties in the entire game here 30 total yards the Cardinals they had 10 for 59 and on a few occasions we actually got lucky we actually got like I can't believe they called that. I can't believe that was a pass interference and the Jets are still moving the ball. And there was a fumble Chris Herndon had that should have been a fumble. And they gave the ball back there and still the Jets can do nothing with it. Just nothing with it. Again, you know, we go to the red zone three times. We were gifted like a, a free, you know, go to the five yard line. Go to the five yard line. Just score a touchdown, Jets, please. It's been such an ugly year on this tipped ball interception. And the first thing we do is we get to delay a game and then we call bad plays, try to get the yardage back and then just hum the ball out of the end zone to inexperienced wide receivers and don't score there. So we're one for three in the red zone. They're two for two, much better. We don't have any turnovers in this game, none. They have one, the interception thrown. They gave us that good field position. Time of possession, the Jets had five minutes less, 27 to 32. Third down efficiency, Cardinals five for 12, not great. The Jets 4 for 13, even worse. So I think that the yardage is there. I mean, the passing yards, the Jets 162 to the Cardinals 369. I think that when you look through it, though, it looks like potentially you take maybe that yardage out of there. It looks like it should be a much, much closer game than it was. So I think that's part of the reason that I feel okay. I didn't feel embarrassed watching this game the entire time. Yes, there's plenty of reasons to be embarrassed. But watching a backup quarterback come in, throwing to backup wide receivers with some backup offensive linemen and a bunch of backup cornerbacks on a backup defense, I didn't sit here and just be like, oh my God, these players are inept. They weren't dropping the ball. They weren't fumbling the ball like crazy. Um, not a bunch of turnovers, not a bunch of horrible penalties. It was just a safe a safe game plan that was never going to score any points and was never going to stop a, an offense from you know, eventually scoring. Maybe they would stop the 50-yard play they hoped they would give up the 10-yard pass over and over again. So we, there was really no hope in winning with this game plan. So that is team stats. And before moving over to player performances, I'm going to take a quick pit stop at the cooler for a little what's on tap. That's right. What's on tap. And today I'm drinking something special, something cool, a gift from my roommate Kyle. 
who went up to Vermont a couple weekends ago and brought me back the original secret, hard-to-get, amazing IPA that started the whole IPA trend that I'm into now, and that is the Alchemist's Heady Topper. This Alchemist Heady Topper, for those of you who are not familiar, is like the, it's the original beer that was impossible to get. You had to go up to like way, I think, what is it from? Stowe, Vermont? Yeah, Stowe, Vermont. You had to go up to this brewery, the Alchemist, and get the beer up there. This is before there were a bunch of like IPAs and things out there. A lot, a lot of local things. People were drinking like Budweiser and Heineken and stuff like that, right? This place makes this amazing IPA, but you have to travel so far to upstate Vermont. They don't distribute it in package stores, so people would go up there. There were special release dates. You had to, like, know a guy who knew a guy when the distribution was coming, and it was the one to get. And then came stuff like Sip of Sunshine and more and more and more as time went on. But this was the original one, and it still is absolutely delicious. Still is hard to get, too. I still don't believe I've ever seen it in a package store. I'm not sure if they have distributed it at all. I'm sure as time has gone on, they've probably loosened up the rules a little bit on how to get it. But still, really nice tree. It's a one-pint, eight-ounce can. And it's similar. It, it's, you know, it's a an 8% IPA. But it's not as hazy as some of the other ones. It's a, you know, when you pour it out, it's a browner color. It's got that browner IPA taste rather than like the orangey creamy ones. It's a little bit thinner. And uh, it packs a punch. And that's part of the reason people loved it when it came out and it was such a hit. Like 8% beer that tastes this good, full of flavor. So the Alchemist's Heady Topper is what I'm drinking today. Thank you, Kyle. And this actually hopefully will be starting the amazing IPA run that I will be on for What's on Tap for the next few weeks. I am going up to Maine. This weekend, and a couple breweries that I'm really into, Maine Brewing Company and Bissell Brothers and a couple others are having some special releases while I'm going up there. I actually, when I finish this podcast, have a pre-order. Got to be on at 7.30 to pre-order to get in line for this Saturday up at Bissell Brothers to get one of their most special beers. And it's like a top 20 IPA rated on uh, a bunch of apps called Swish. So hopefully I'll be getting that at 7.30. A lot of excitement in the booze world for Dan. All right, so that is what's on tap. Lots of good to come. A lot better than the Jets football we're going to be watching, I'm sure. Before we move over to player performances, commercial. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. And that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Alrighty, I hope that was riveting stuff. Welcome back. Let's talk some player performances. And we will start with the offense and we will start with the quarterback. One, Mr. Joe Flacco. Super Bowl winning quarterback lining up for the New York Jets. He played for the Broncos last year, didn't do very well. He ended up getting replaced for Drew Locke at the end of the year. He struggled a bit. He's definitely an old version of himself, but he's definitely, as I've mentioned twice already, much, much improved over Luke Falk, David Fales, definitely over Mike White, probably over Captain Morgan. Joe Flacco, we're not screwed playing him, right? We don't have to watch horrible, ugly football. The guy doesn't have any turnovers. 
no interceptions, no fumbles. He only sacked twice. He actually ends up with an 82 quarterback rating, 195, one touchdown, 18 for 33. The problem was is Joe Flacco had 5.9 yards per attempt. He was not moving the ball quickly. There were not a lot of big plays in this game. In fact, in this game, we only had one play for over 20 yards, one play for over 15 yards, really, 52-yarder to Jameson Crowder. Other than that, it was just short, dink and dunk, you know, 2020 New York Jets offense. I don't think that Joe Flacco played better than Sam Darnold. I think that he played like a savvy veteran who was on a horrible team trying not to die, trying to make something happen without making mistakes. I think Sam Darnold probably would have had more yardage, maybe another tight end or another touchdown, and then probably one interception mixed in there because he probably would have tried a little more, maybe sacked a few more times. It's Joe Flacco. We're not sure if he's going to be back at quarterback next week. But either way, it's the Dolphins. They're probably slightly better than the Cardinals or about the same as the Cardinals. I think that Joe Flacco could have a similar performance. He's probably not going to be putting up any 300, 400-yard games anytime soon, especially not until we get some receivers back. But a solid game. I was a little bit worried that he was going to come out and just light it up and play amazing, and everyone's going to be like, oh, see, this is what happens when Sam's not there. Look how easy it is for other guys to come in and do it. You know what? Joe Flacco did everything that he could. He made all the right reads, the right decisions. And when you look at it, before we move over to the, the running backs, looking at the rushing, Joe Flacco ran the ball four times for 20 yards. I mean, that's more than he's run in an entire season before. Last year, an eight-game started for the Broncos. He ran for a total of 20 yards. With the New York Jets, in his first game, he ran for 20 yards. And I think that's the perfect indication that even when you're Joe Flacco, whoever the quarterback is, I mean, Sam Darnold ran for 100 yards what the week before he went out. When you're Joe Flacco, you're any quarterback on this team. The players that you can throw to are so minimal that you have no choice but to run it. These guys aren't getting open. There's no separation. They don't catch the ball when they do. No yards after catch. The game planning is so lame and so pathetic that what do you do when you drop back there? You've got a bunch of stupid routes with bad receivers, not getting separation. What do you do? A guy that doesn't like to run it has never run it for his entire career. Not what he's known for. Runs the, runs the ball more than he does in eight games total last season with the Broncos for 20 yards because it's the only option, really to find any sort of success. So that's Joe Flacco's rushing. You got Le'Veon Bell, 13 carries, 60 yards, no touchdowns, but a 4.6 yard per carry average. It's better than he's been usually, but the same sort of performance. I mean, he always finds a way to get like between 12 and 20 carries or touches, always end somewhere between like 50 and 70 yards. Sometimes the average is three yards per carry. Sometimes it's as high as 4.6. There's never touchdowns in there. And... It's just never an explosive game. Never a, a long run, more than like 10 yards. This game, he had a 13-yarder. But it was a classic performance and just more points that Adam Gase has not ever used Le'Veon Bell the way that he was supposed to be used. Frank Gore still gets nine carries to Le'Veon Bell's 13. Frank Gore has 3.3 yards per carry on 30 yards. Michael Pirine doesn't get any carries in this game. No throws, no offensive snaps in this game. Instead, he's moved to special teams because now that Le'Veon Bell is back, it's going to be a Bell and Gore combo. He doesn't know how to use Pirine. He's saying now that he doesn't want to put Pirine on the field because it may stunt his growth, but that's clearly not the issue. The issue is that he has Le'Veon Bell back now and he can't take carries away from Frank Gore because he's obsessed with Frank Gore. And it's just this whole weird thing. Like, let LeMichael Pirine get, God forbid the guy get five carries in a game. It's going to stunt his growth, giving him five carries. At least he's, I guess, cognizant enough to know that him having any sort of impact 
telling players what to do on offense is potentially stunting their growth. He's right about that. And I guess at this point, you can't really stunt Frank Gore's growth. He is what he is. He's 16 years in the league. The guy's like a dinosaur. Other than that, Braxton Berrios had one carry, 13 yards. Trevon Wesco had that one carry on a third and one. Couldn't pick it up. I think he had his eyes closed. It looked like Sam Darnold running into Brandon Moore's butt. Trevon Wesco held onto the ball, but he gained zero yards. Did not pick up the first down. Did not pass go. Did not collect $100, $200, whatever it is. He got nothing. Trevon Wesco kind of sucks. Um, he's still like a decent timeshare within the offense. He's getting like 25% of snaps or so playing like this hybrid tight end fullback role. It's weird because he was brought in to be a tight end that could block, but he couldn't really get a lot going there. And he's not a weapon in the receiving game at all. So they kind of move him to like a tight end, but he can't run the ball at all. And like, he's not that good at blocking or moving in the backfield. It's just like, they feel like they have this guy and maybe because they drafted him somewhat early last year, they have to keep him on the roster and see what he can do. But it isn't really anything, at least not with this offensive coordinator and this team. Maybe with somebody else it can work but not here. When you talk about receiving, one man stands out. Our obvious offensive player of the game for the third time this year, one, Jamison Crowder. Eight catches on 10 targets for 116 yards and a touchdown with a long of 52. Jamison Crowder, believe it or not, Jamison Crowder leads the entire NFL in receiving yards per game. Now, he missed two games, so he doesn't have the most yards in the league. But 111.7 receiving yards per game is more than any other player in the league. Jamison Crowder is getting it done. In three games this year, he's absolutely rocking. Over 330 yards. He's got two touchdowns in the season now. Doesn't matter who's in at quarterback. Sam Darnold, Joe Flacco, Jamison Crowder rocks. We got him on a contract for one more year after this one. He's our slot receiver. He's getting the targets. He actually didn't have the most targets in this game, believe it or not, but he had by far the most receptions, most yards, was clearly the best player on the field on offense when watching. It was so, so painfully obvious that nobody else can give anything that Crowder can do. And you know what? In reality, Crowder's considered around the league like before what he's doing this year and everything. He's considered like a solid, pretty good slot receiver. But on this offense, he looks like a superstar. That's just the difference between the players that we have playing. Now, Jameson Crowder is balling out. Maybe his best year ever. He's the offensive player of the game. He's got three on the year, leads the offense, and we are so lucky to have him because if it wasn't for him, there wouldn't be an offense. Not until anybody else comes back. He's all we got. Brings us to our next most yardage in the game is one Chris Herndon, and brrr, he has been in the doghouse for four weeks so far this year, four out of four, and this is his week to get out. But he doesn't. He stays in because he's terrible. Chris Herndon had another garbage game. He had a horrible drop. He had a reception this game that definitely was a fumble that they didn't call a fumble. He had two receptions for 24 yards. He is the worst tight end I have seen play for the New York Jets since, I don't know, like, He's probably worse than Zach Sudfeld so far this year. Like like Matt Mulligan. I don't know. Nobody has played this poorly at tight end. He's actually losing snap percentage. Ryan Griffin started this game and got about 20% more snaps on offense than Chris Herndon. But still, Chris Herndon found a way to be absolutely horrible. They're doing everything they can. They're like, let's hide him. Let's kind of like, let's peel it back a little bit. Let's put him on the field a little less, and maybe people won't. Nope, no, you only have to put him on there for you know, 40% of plays, and he will find a way to screw it up. And he did, and he's horrible. 
is having such a bad year. He needs to bounce back in such a big way. Five weeks in a row in the doghouse? The fact that he's like making that kind of an effort to be that bad week in and week out is kind of surprising. It's kind of impressive. Like he's, he's all right, he's going to make sure that he gets a chance to catch a ball and drop it or fumble it or just. <laughs> he had three targets in this game. He had three times as many as Le'Veon Bell. Next most yard to Jeff Smith. 11 targets, led the team in targets. Jeff Smith, he only had three catches for 23 yards, so he kind of came back down to earth. It seemed like they were really excited about him after the Broncos game because he was like a spark plug that finally somebody else installed into the offense that's not Jamison Crowder. Ooh, Jeff Smith, here's a usable receiver. He can run. So they tried to work him into the offense, but he starts on the outside, and you know, usually there's maybe some higher caliber cornerbacks covering on the outside. Jeff Smith gets blanketed. 11 targets, 23 yards. Not a great game for Jeff Smith. At the end of the day, Jeff Smith is not a starting receiver for this New York Jets team either. It should be Prashad Perriman, Denzel Mims, and Jamison Crowder. Your backup should be big play Vincent Smith. Jeff Smith should be your fifth with Braxton Berrios as your sixth. That's where we're supposed to be. Fifth receiver, you don't only really play him much unless you have an injury. Jeff Smith's playing now. He's playing as basically the number one outside receiver, the number two receiver in terms of talent behind Jamison Crowder. So we got to flip this whole thing upside down. Chris Hogan, three catches, 20 yards. This guy's still finding a way to play on the team. He is slow, catches the ball here and there. Somewhat reliable, I guess, but doesn't get open all that much and doesn't offer anything exciting. That's all we really got going on in the receiving game. Braxton Barrows didn't get a catch. He had two targets, but he's not going to be a very big part of the passing offense as long as Jameson Crowder's there. I know a lot of people are excited about Braxton Barrios, and when he played those two weeks when Crowder was out. He did have good games, and Sam Darnold trusted him and got the ball to him. But that's more the role of slot receiver within this offense, and Jamison Crowder is much better at doing it. So the second Jamison Crowder can do it, he's going to replace Berrios. Berrios can't really line up on the outside, and it doesn't make sense to move Jamison Crowder on the outside to a place that doesn't play to his skill set. You know, he's, I guess in one way, he's like the only player that Adam Gase is actually using appropriately. So for that reason, Braxton Berrios is going to be kind of a non-factor in the offense for a while until barring injury to Crowder, hopefully not knock on wood. Moving over offensive line. In this game, we start Chuma Adoga. He moves to the right, which is usually George Fant's spot. George Fant moves to the left, which is usually Mekhi Becton's spot. Mekhi Becton's not playing in this game. Last week, Mekhi Becton didn't start. Chuma Adoga started on the left, got injured, and then they ended up in this whole mix-up thing, and then George Fant got injured, and he was on the right. This week, they decided to swap that Chuma on the right, Fant on the left. I think that's a better lineup for them. I think that Fant is better. I think he can play left tackle decently well. Chuma, a little bit more of a liability over there. I'd rather have him on the right side. Um, Overall, the offensive line, I thought, gave Joe Flacco some decent protection, and I thought they actually made some decent holes in the running game. Of course, when they came down to, like, you know, the third and one or the fourth and one, they couldn't get it done on obvious run-up-the-middle plays. It's such an obvious, clear as day what the New York Jets are doing. And it's kind of easy to stop those sort of plays. But other than that, the offensive line actually played all right in this game. Tackle solid. Um, you know, I, I don't have a ton to say there. There was no dominating performances. There were no mega holes. That left side's nowhere near as strong as it is when you have Mekhi Becton over there. But considering what the New York Jets are going through, we've got two average to below average guards. We've got a backup right tackle and we've moved our right tackle to left tackle. It's an interesting thing with a backup quarterback in there and a, you know, a game planner who doesn't know what the heck he's doing. 
and they only gave up the two sacks. They technically gave up three, but that one weird play to Jeff Smith where he was going to like maybe throw the ball, they counted as a sack. It wasn't really a sack. It was just a stupid trick play. He finally did a trick play, and it was just this disaster thing where Jeff Smith didn't know what he was doing and he got tripped up, and they called it a sack. But, you know, you can't really blame the offensive line on that play, I don't believe. So that is the offensive side of the ball. We are going to move over to the defensive side of the ball, but I think before I do that, we are going to do father time. I was going to do that after defense, but I'd like to get to it now. We didn't have one last week. Dad was super busy. Totally understandable. But we didn't get a father time. Comes back this week. He wasn't super impressed with this week's submission for himself. He's working on something bigger coming up in the upcoming weeks, but he said it's not quite ready yet. The New York Jets aren't quite there. I don't know what that means, but he gave me something short and sweet this week. I think he got a lot of our... uh, a lot of our New York Jets feelings out in this one. So here we go. Father Time, written by my dad, David Burnham. There are some big changes for our Jets that are right around the corner, likely midseason. Who should stay and who should go? The Jets are going nowhere in COVID 2020. That is a fact. Should Gase go? I was an early defender, but the time is near. Should Sam go? Some think so. Premature conversation? Maybe. But just imagine if our fellow Jets fans were in MetLife actually witnessing these games. It would be ugly. I swear, I can hear the boos and the jeers from across the Hudson River through piped-in fake crowd noise on every home game so far this year. So maybe it's not so premature. Gase is a goner. The only question is when. If the Dolphins crush the Jets on Sunday, that could hopefully be the end of him in Jet Green. But before we spend the first pick on the latest wonder kid from college, probably named Trevor Lawrence. Let's give Sam the support that he needs and deserves. He needs to battle and lead the team. Go Sam and go Jets. And finally, go Gase. Stop punting the ball on fourth and one. End scene. So short and sweet, that's what dad's got for this week. He's absolutely right in this one, right? A lot of us are thinking Gase has to go. That's pretty much widely across the entire football world that's kind of the the overall thought here I don't know how it's taking so long but Gase has to go he's a goner question is when Sam Darnold that's the other side of it because we don't know what Joe Douglas's plan is he didn't draft Sam Darnold but you have to imagine that he came to take the New York Jets job with Sam Darnold at quarterback in mind that's got to be part of the deciding factor he was like we got a guy in place here now, he didn't know that Adam Gase was going to try to ruin him and everybody else on the team before Joe Douglas had a chance to build anything but you got to think that he does have some connection to Sam in terms of that, even though he didn't draft him. That being said, when Sam has shown regression, has missed games at least one so far this year, hasn't played a healthy season in three years, full 16 games, looks like he's regressing right now, and you know maybe building some new bad habits that he didn't even have as a rookie. You have to start to wonder, if the Jets get that first overall pick and there's a guy like Trevor Lawrence staring you at the face, star quarterback from Clemson who has been, you know, argued to be the best quarterback. He was definitely going to be the number one quarterback coming out. They knew this like two years ago. Now he's on pace to actually come out this year. He's the obvious pick in that situation. But the question is, do you do that when you have Sam Darnold? If the Jets have the first pick, it's going to be a difficult, difficult question. But the one thing that needs to happen for Sam Darnold is he can't just give up and see what happens. And just If he starts playing garbage football and comes back, can't get anything done, it's going to make the decision a lot easier. But if he comes back and he rallies and we get Denzel Mims back on the field and big play Vince and Perriman 
and maybe Adam Gase is done play calling, Sam Darnold can get a rhythm. He can potentially convince this front office, this fan base, the organization, everybody, that he is the guy to be there. I still truly believe that Sam Darnold is a great quarterback. I think that he has everything that he needs, all the tools, characteristics, the innate physical traits, whatever you're looking for when you make your perfect quarterback on a spreadsheet. I think Sam Darnold checks more boxes than almost any quarterback I've seen coming out of college. But we've put him in horrible positions, horrible coaches. We've got bad talent year after year, bad offensive line. And it's a really tough situation. And he's playing badly and it's getting worse. And how long do you sit, stick up for that? And is it possible that I'm wrong? And he's not all that special. And he just doesn't have what it takes. I don't know if you heard that or not, but I believe roommate Kyle is on the other side of the door and heard me say that and just yelled what? He is another Sam Darnold believer, another New York Jets fan, of course, good New York Jets fan. Who wants to see Sam Darnold succeed? And yeah, I know for some people it's crazy to hear me say that. But the writing's on the wall here. The New York Jets team is horrible, lining up for a top three pick. Great quarterbacks coming out in college. Joe Douglas could have big decisions to make, try to turn this franchise around. We got to see him lead. We got to see him back on the field, of course. We have to see him start playing some good games. And there's tough ones coming up. We still have a really tough schedule. I mean, for the remainder of the year, we got to play the Patriots twice. We got to play the Bills again. Dolphins aren't that horrible. We got to play teams like the Chiefs and the Seahawks and the and the Rams. It's like there really is no break in this entire season for the Jets. There is no Washington football team or New York Giants on the schedule for the Jets. Unfortunately, there's no Jaguars. That'd be nice, but unfortunately, it's going to be tough sledding. But we need to see some fight. We need to see this guy prove that he is the dream kid, Gekbis quarterback that we wanted coming out of college. That he's the right man for the job. I still think that he can do it. I don't know. All sorts of emotions about this stuff right now. I haven't even gotten my... I ordered a freaking... What is it called? One of those little... Uh, shoot, I forget the name of these things. It's like a little action figure short guy. has like a really big head and big eyes. And they make them for a bunch of sports athletes. Mm, I have a Joe Namath one. I ordered a Sam Darnold one like seven months ago. Probably coming from China. It said that it shipped. It's like in some cargo container moving three miles an hour across the Pacific Ocean right now. I don't uh, know when it's coming in, but I hope that he's still the quarterback when it does. I will. I'll put a picture on Twitter when this guy comes in. I'll put him right next to Joe, Sam Darnold, and uh, maybe maybe that's the good luck charm. Maybe we just don't have it yet. It's it's tied up in the middle of the ocean. The second it gets here, give it a little rub on the head, and uh, let it go to work. Do its magic. All right, anyway, before getting more sidetracked, thank you, Dad, for the father time. Great submission. Look forward to whatever you got coming up in the works. That is father time. Before we move over to the defensive side of the ball, the commercial. And welcome back to This is the Jet Life. We are about to talk defensive side of the ball. Defensive player in this game, there wasn't all that much to be excited about because very little happened. There was one tipped pass by Neville Hewitt that went into the hands of Avery Williamson, set us up on about the seven or eight yard line. We didn't end up scoring there, so that was a big bummer. We only had one sack in this game from one John Franklin Myers. When you look at everything else, it's not all that impressive. Defensive line, we'll start there. Quinn and Williams actually had the most snaps on the entire defensive line, 55%, everybody else 40% or lower, a timeshare, of course. Um, you haven't seen a ton out of a lot of these players. Very quiet year for Fadakasi, quiet for McClendon, Kyle Phillips, Nathan Shepard, Henry Anderson. It's been quiet. The one guy who has consistently made his presence felt week in and week out while he's been on the field and in the roster is JFM, John Franklin Myers. And believe it or not, 
I'm going to make him our defensive player of the game in this one. We're starting right there. John Franklin Myers had a sack in this game. He had a tackle for loss, quarterback hit. He was active around the field. He's rushing. He's, 90, he's number 91. He's usually playing on the left side of the defensive line. When you watch the defensive line, he's the guy that stands out. He has a high motor. He's always going after the quarterback. He seems to be in the right place at the right time, and he's making plays. Not a lot of guys on defense are making plays. And you know what? Not all stars of the game are created equal. Not all stars are the same. Some are brighter than others. Jameson Crowder is the North Star. You know, John Franklin Myers is one that's really, really far away. And you're not sure if it even is a star or just like something in your eye. You're trying to like blink to figure it out. And the more you focus on it, the more it's impossible to see. You look away and there you see it again out of the corner of your eye. That's more the John Franklin Myers star of the game type of thing. But there's nobody else to give it to in this one. We got to pick somebody. So JFM gets it for his sack, his motor, his consistency on the defensive line, and his ability to be the only player to get into the backfield, really, and make an impact back there. When you've got all these players, the defensive line, that you're, you know, we don't have a pass rusher, but we had a lot of guys that were making noise last year. Kyle Phillips and Foley Fadakasi. Excited about both of those guys. Henry Anderson was the big contract. Quinn Williams was the big draft pick. Steve McClendon's the, you know, the pro, the old vet. And John Franklin Myers, a guy that was on the team last year, inactive for almost every single game, playing this year is the one that's standing out. So credit where credit is due. Linebackers, we are getting nothing out of Jordan Jacobs this year. Sometimes he plays 20% of snaps. This game he plays 50% of snaps. It doesn't make a difference. He's getting nothing done. He used to be an edge setter who could bull rush and get after the quarterback. This year, he just seems slow, out of shape, and doesn't really help to be out there. He hasn't really made a good play yet this, this whole season. Terrell Basham, similar story. He's maybe shined, sparked once, twice this year. But not that much. Very quiet game from him. Neville Hewitt is playing all the snaps. He's kind of a master of none. Somewhat reliable, somewhat not reliable because he's not like horrible at anything, but he's also not good at anything really. Here and there, when you're out there for 100% of snaps, you make some plays. He had a tipped ball in this one at the defensive line. Went into the hands of Avery Williams and the other inside linebacker who had his highest percentage of snaps so far this season, which is a good sign for him in terms of health. But when you look away from that interception, there's really not that much to be excited about. These guys are on the field a ton. We're just playing soft zones, letting receivers tear us apart. These guys can't cover, but neither can the cornerbacks, but they also can't like zone to the spots to take away the, the passing lanes. When teams run, they still get big plays on us, and we can't cover the sideline side to side across the field. So like across the board, there's just a lot of guys that need to be replaced. And uh, when you go to the cornerbacks, LaShawn Austin, who's probably our best cornerback on the team this year, he's not playing, so you have to put an undrafted free agent, Lamar Jackson, who, don't get me wrong, I was high on him coming in as an undrafted free agent. I thought that maybe he could be a seventh-round pick. He ended up joining the Jets undrafted, but he shouldn't be playing right now. And going up against DeAndre Hopkins like he did in this week, I mean, he got picked on a bit. He did. He played a pretty decent first half. I was At times, I was like, you know what? It's not that bad considering... But then by the end of the game, Hopkins was just adding numbers up. Tick, tick, tick. Kyler Murray gets up to 380 yards. And at the end, you're like, you know what? It wasn't that good of a game because we gave Kyler Murray his best passing game of his career. And, you know, how can you be all that impressed with that? But still, I don't think that, you know, he's not getting horrible penalties. He's not making, we saw some really embarrassing plays from like Trumaine Johnson and Daryl Roberts. He's not playing embarrassing football He's not making horrible penalties and, and horrible mistakes other than one or two bad reads in coverage. It's just He's just not quite good enough. He's not quite there yet. He's supposed to be a number five, number six cornerback on the roster. He's not supposed to be a number one. 
On the other side, you got Pierre Desir, who has been so inconsistent, up and down, and just playing a soft zone. He, this guy's, you know, he'll make some big plays here and there, and he'll just play bad cornerback here and there as well. Bradley McDougald, he's had a pretty down year as well. I mean, a lot of negativity here on the defense. I mean, they scored 30 points. Anyways, but we had, we had no turnovers and stuff, no penalties, and still they get 30 points. Um, Bradley McDougald has had a down year, definitely, considering like what we were expecting out of him. You know, there's all that talk coming in. Oh, Bradley McDougald's going to be a really good replacement for Jamal Adams. He won't be as good, but he's a top-tier guy we're getting. Jamal Adams, he's going to go over to that Seahawks defense, and he's going to be bored. There's not that much going on over there. You know what? It's the opposite. I know Jamal Adams isn't playing right now, but that Seattle defense, they made Bradley McDougald better. And they actually have, you know, maybe they deserve a little credit for making their players better because we don't seem to do that. Who are we making better? Pierre Desir, the guy that was brought in to be the number one cornerback. We're really making him look good. Bradley McDougal, is he looking great for us right now? You know, Henry Anderson, it's just, it's a lot to be negative about. But we will breathe, we will we will revisit. There's a lot more football to be played this year. I'll be watching every single minute of it. Um, so anyways, Bradley McDougal's having a down year, as I was saying, and he's down to like 73% snap percentage in this game, which is his lowest of the entire season. I think the team is starting to take note that, you know what, he's not an every down, you got to have this guy on the field sort of player because the way he's playing right now, late in coverage, not tackling all that well, not super fast, not big, not physically imposing. He's just kind of like average there, decent. Just decent. You don't have to play him every single play because he's not all that good. So you mix in Matthias Farley. You mix in Ashton Davis, who's back from injury this week. Had an interception that was called back. Could have been cool to get his first interception on the season and of his career, but uh, it didn't happen. And then Marcus May, a guy that's potentially in a contract year here. We'll see what the New York Jets are going to do with him. Um, You know, he had a really good week one. I keep talking about that week one. Haven't seen much from him since. I think he tackles pretty weak. I don't know if he's just saving it because why even... Why even bother putting it out there this season? But you're thinking a contract year. Like, this guy's got to make a little bit more happen on the field. I know that the soft defense does not really play well to his strengths, and you're just giving up 10-yard pass after 10-yard pass. Um, but we need to see more from Marcus May. If he wants to get a contract from this New York Jets team, we got to see more. So that's our defense. We've still got special teams. Braden Mann punted fine. Sam Ficken only had one field goal attempt in this game. He made it. It was a short one. He also made an extra point. It wasn't a very tall ask from him, so he's not going to get our special teams player of the game. Wait, who's going to get special teams player of the game? Not Braden Mann. Not Sam Ficken. Is one of the returners going to get it? Nah, nothing too special there. It goes to Matthias Farley, our special teams captain, who on two punts by Braden Mann not only got downfield and was the first guy there but also made the tackle and they were close to one was like a shoestring tackle that he made but when you're the first guy down the field and you make the tackle that's a big deal that's the reason this guy's a captain he can do stuff like that you know we haven't seen a ton of it in his time with the New York Jets but you know he's capable of it and he just did it twice this game typically on a gunner so you're supposed to you punt the ball and you're not supposed to out punt your coverage too much you're supposed to have your gunners go down there and be close to the guy when he's catching the ball in a perfect world. So he calls fair catch, no return, great. If he does return it, the first guy, technically, you'd love him to make the tackle, but in reality, the goal of the first guy is to get down there and slow the progress, impede the progress of the return man down. Maybe he's not going to make the tackle, but he'll dive, he'll get in his way. 
he'll at least stop his acceleration and give everybody else a chance to get there. Sometimes it's like a receiver. Sometimes it's a, a young cornerback like a Javelin Gidry or someone who's just really fast, not known for tackling to make the tackle, but he's just going to get there and make this guy think twice, change his lanes, give everybody else time to get there. Matthias Farley not only was down the field first, but also made the tackle on both of those plays. And for that, when you make two standout plays like that, especially in a week where not that much was happening on special teams, you have to get special teams player of the game. So I'm proud to give Matthias Farley his first ever New York Jets player of the game for special teams. So the last order of business before we close this negative podcast out is a preview of the Miami Dolphins in week six, right? This game was moved instead of the Chargers. It was supposed to be Chargers, but now it will be in Miami, four o'clock game against the Dolphins. And we know the Dolphins very, very well. They have changed a bit since we played them last, but Ryan Fitzpatrick is still their quarterback. Everybody knows that Ryan Fitzpatrick shifts team time and time again, but typically he has a good year finds a way to become the starting quarterback, plays really well, comes back for another year, and then doesn't play as well. Leaves, finds another team, plays well first year, bad second year, new team for, you know, that's a cycle that he has. This year he's playing, he's actually playing pretty well still in his second year, so that's surprising for him. They beat the 49ers this weekend, 43-17, to and got Jimmy Garoppolo benched for C.J. Beathard. Jimmy Garoppolo had a, four, a 15 quarterback rating against the Dolphins. Granted, he's injured a little bit, but this is a team, the 49ers, that whether it was Garoppolo or Mullins or whomever, the Jets got kind of manhandled. The Dolphins just went in there and picked them apart in San Francisco. Ryan Fitzpatrick, 22 of 28 for 350 yards and three touchdowns. 154.5 quarterback rating. That's almost perfect. When Ryan Fitzpatrick's playing like that, he can definitely, definitely dice our defense up. We do not have the ability to dice anybody up this year. A running game, not explosive. Passing game, not explosive. It's Jamison Crowder is really our offense. And he typically is eight receptions for 115 yards, you know, 11-yard catches. Ryan Fitzpatrick, he's chucking the ball around. Playing against a pretty solid defense. Robert Sala's defense in, in San Francisco, 154 quarterback rating. We got to watch out for that. They may put up, if they put 43 on them, who knows what they could put on us. Their running game has not been impressive this year. It's Miles Gaskin. It's Matt Breida. And these guys, you know, Gaskin is a high volume running back. He's getting like 15, 16, 17 carries every game, but he doesn't have great efficiency, usually under four yards per carry. So I'm not nervous about their running game in any way, but they do have good receivers, a good tight end. They got Preston Williams, Devontae Parker, and Jakeem Grant. And then they've got a tight end in Mike Jasicki, who's pretty good. So you got to be worried about some of their playmakers, especially because the Jets just give up 10 to 15-yard passes consistently, on purpose, it seems like, and we don't have great cornerbacks and no pass rush. You know, they have plenty of receivers who can get the job done, catch the ball, and even some yards after the catch. Defensively, you know, I don't think it's a super scary defense. They do have Byron Jones, who's one of the better cornerbacks in the league, and, you know, should they keep him outside? You know, if he wants to guard on Jeff Smith for the game on the outside, so be it. Hopefully he doesn't get 11 targets if Byron Jones is covering him. Maybe we just kind of take him out of the game plan. Hopefully Byron Jones doesn't decide to play slot and just see if the challenge of Jameson Crowder is worth it. Um, they've got a decent defense in Miami. Brian Flores is the defensive coordinator, or the, the coach who was the defensive coordinator for the New England Patriots. So, of course, they are a little bit defense-focused. Xavier Howard is one of their cornerbacks. He's a playmaker. If the ball's thrown to him, 
he finds a way to come down with it almost every single time. When it comes to getting after the quarterback, it's kind of a by-committee sort of thing over there. Their leading sack guy, Manuel Agba, he's got three. Other than that, they got a bunch of other players, two and a half, two, one. You know, some players you may be familiar with, Shaq Lawson, Kyle Van Noy, or some of them. They got 14 sacks through five games. They're on pace for like 45 sacks or so, which is, you know, I think the magic number for a team is 40. The New York Jets will not get to 40. But that's the magic number for like a decent football team. And when you look at this defense, there's not a ton to be really nervous about except for those cornerbacks, Xavier Howard and Byron Jones. But they're just a better team than the New York Jets, and it's probably going to be trouble for us. And last week I picked the New York Jets would beat the Cardinals. We didn't. We're 0-5. We haven't really been competitive in any game yet, and I can't pick that the New York Jets are going to beat the Dolphins. They're a division rival. They're only 2-3. and three. They should be beatable, and they are beatable. But I don't know if this Jets game team can do it. And I also don't know what the injuries are going to be. Like, is Sam Darnold playing instead of Joe Flacco? And if Sam Darnold plays, is he healthy? Is Denzel Mims finally going to come back? Or Brashad Perriman, if he even helps? Big play Vince, is he going to be available? Jabari Zaniga. There's a lot of guys that I want to see playing out there. And a lot of them would make this team a better team. But if they're not there, it's going to be a mess. And if they are there, maybe it can be competitive. Maybe the New York Jets can make this a 27-20 to 20 game. I think that would be a fair prediction for what happened. 27 Dolphins, 20 Jets. You know, that's about... I don't know, maybe we're holding the Dolphins to a little a little less than they're going to get. Maybe we're scoring a little more than we're actually going to get in my prediction, but always thinking positively, and I do believe that if the stars align for the New York Jets, they can beat this Miami Dolphins football team. Why can't they? Because they suck, because their coach is there. But if they change the game plan, they change the play caller, the players are back, different players are on the field. Yeah, if everything is different, it could be. The start of something special. Probably not, but I will go in with a positive mindset and I will go in ready to watch the New York Jets take on the Miami Dolphins with a nice big plate of sushi in front of me. The boys, father time, dad, roommate Kyle, maybe even girlfriend Shannon there, all wearing our Jets green, repping proud. Let's go New York Jets. Let's see something. Let's get a little bit of life. Let's score more than 10 points. You know, I don't want to give up 40 points, 50 points. I'm fine if we give up 27 points, whatever. Can we at least score, like, in that 20s range? Can we at least have a a decent-looking offense in terms of the numbers? I don't know. Just something to cheer for. It's tough to cheer for one touchdown and a field goal. It's like, eh, here and there. It's like, not a lot of big plays. Whatever. We'll see what happens. It's not about this season. It's about next season. It's about 2022 and beyond. Anyways, thank you for joining me. Thank you for sticking with me and this New York Jets team through thick and thin. I know it's difficult, but we are here and in this together. If you want to talk about it, engage with me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. Until next week, I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life. (laughs) 